Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season has been Advancements in Congenital Heart Disease. And I told you last week that we finished Season 9, but I have a bonus for you today. Today we have a great show about pulmonary hypertension in adults with congenital heart defects. This is with a very special doctor from Houston, Texas. Dr. Franklin founded the Adult Congenital Heart Disease Program in 2004, and he remains an active clinician with clinical interest in a wide spectrum of congenital heart disease, such as tetralogy of Fallot, aortic valve disorders, single ventricle physiology, Fontan operations, atrioventricular canal defects, transposition of the great arteries, and pulmonary hypertension. He is also an expert on cardiac disease in women. He is an academic scholar, a recipient of the prestigious Fulbright and Jaworski Faculty Excellence Award, and a member of the Academy of Distinguished Educators. In addition, Dr. Franklin is a noted researcher in such topics as heart disease in pregnancy, tetralogy of Fallot, and heart failure in congenital heart disease. He has been awarded multiple research grants, including most recently from the National Institutes of Health. He is also a member of the international organization, the Alliance for Adult Research in Congenital Cardiology. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Dr. Franklin. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, what is it that led you to specialize in working with adults with congenital heart defects, Dr. Franklin? Well, I think I first noticed this in my residency training at Duke, and I noticed that these types of patients were underserved. They didn't really fit into any category. They were often followed by pediatric cardiologists, but they were adults, meaning over 18. Rarely were they followed by adult cardiologists, even though you would think that an adult patient would see an adult cardiologist, because in general, back 10, 15 years ago, there were not a lot of adult cardiologists who knew this type of heart condition. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that it was an underserved population. I was always very fascinated by the physiology and the anatomy of congenital heart defects. I know certainly working with these families that it's been really a blessing to be able to work with them and to see as the children grow up and become adolescents and adults, it's really fascinating to see them grow. So that was my initial interest in patients like this. It has been fascinating for me as a mother. I'm the mother of a 22-year-old with hypoplastic left heart syndrome and 22 years ago, there was very little known about HLHS at all, and I wasn't given very much hope at all for my son. But 
now you see so many more adults with even complex congenital heart defects like HLHS. So I'm so glad that you recognize that was a growing population and that there certainly was a need for more doctors to be experts in that field. Definitely. You know, I think we in the, the heart disease field have really seen a reversal. 60 or 70 years ago, probably 80% of the children born with these complex heart diseases died. Mm-hmm. But we now reverse that where about over 90% survived to adulthood. So we have made a lot of good progress with surgery and interventional cath and pharmacologic mechanisms and such. So yeah, it's been a real blessing to be able to work in this field, but I've also seen a lot of progress just even over my 15-year career or so. Yeah, that's really amazing that you've been able to see so much progress. You've kind of been in it during a really important time in the development of pediatric cardiology. Yeah, we've seen a lot of growth in the past 15 years from imaging to different surgical techniques to really some improvements and transplants. And again, my own interest, which is adult congenital, it's seen a really big growth uh, a real big growth because people are just finding out that it's a underserved specialty. It's very interesting scientifically and academically. And, you know, the patient is just really cool. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are really cool. Of course, I'm biased because I'm the mother of one, but that's okay. I'm glad that both of us are biased towards thinking that they're really cool. Yeah. Well, what led you to be interested in working with adults with congenital heart defects who also had pulmonary hypertension? Well, I got into that initially from a research perspective because during my fellowship training, I was doing some research in this field. One of my faculty mentors thought it would be an interesting field to get into because not a lot was known about it. And then it turns out that a lot of adult congenital heart disease patients are predisposed to or at risk of developing pulmonary hypertension. So about 8 to 10% of these patients, all comers, are at risk to develop pulmonary hypertension. So it was sort of a natural fit. It was definitely within my interest and in my specialty, but also that a significant amount of patients were going to develop this or be at risk for developing this. Also, I think pulmonary hypertension traditionally has been really a field or a specialty or a disease state that was more so interested in by pulmonary doctors or pulmonologists. So it's been my sort of charge also to interest cardiologists in this condition because it's really, as we'll see, it's a disease of the vasculature, the pulmonary vasculature, which is, I think, more of a cardiovascular problem and not so much a lung, what we call lung parenchyma or intrinsic lung problem. So that's another reason how I got into this. Right. Okay. So is it common when you have adults with congenital heart defects who have complex congenital heart defects, but do have this pulmonary component? Do you work with a team? Is there also a pulmonologist who's on the team, or are you able to do it all? Well, we do work with a team. I'm very fortunate to be able to work with the Baylor College of Medicine faculty in this, and we have, I think, the biggest and also the better pulmonary hypertension programs in the country. I know they've been doing it here a long time, even before I started as faculty, but to have my office right next door to one of my pulmonary hypertension mentors. And so I learned a lot from her. What I think what's nice is, is that I've gotten pretty familiar and confident enough that I can treat this disease, especially if they have congenital heart disease. But we do work as a team because there's a lot of times there's pulmonary hypertension that is not caused by or associated with heart disease, Mm. such as what we call idiopathic or things due to connective tissue or chronic thromboembolic, which is chronic blood clot related pulmonary hypertension. Mm -hmm. 
And so we do work as a team, and I think that's important because there is a lot of disease that is not related to the cardiovascular system that I certainly will defer to other doctors and experts about. Wow, it's just is so complicated when you start thinking about all the different systems in the body and how having a problem with one can lead to a problem with one of the other systems, but how you can have a problem all on its own with just that one system is pretty remarkable. Do you think that because so many of our critical congenital heart defect survivors were on the pulmonary bypass for possibly long periods of time, that that contributes to them developing pulmonary hypertension as adults? Well, I think the data show that it's probably more a problem with what we call pulmonary overcirculation, which means where the pulmonary vasculature and then the lungs get too much blood flow or get overcirculated for a certain number of months or years. So we know now that if we wait too long to repair some of these defects, either surgically or in the cardiac catheterization lab, that these patients can develop this earlier in life. And those maybe we waited too long on are risk to develop it later in life, but also sort of at a more advanced stage. So mm. I think it's more related to the timing of repair or, you know, some patients don't get repaired at all. Right. Some patients that I have were born between eras of congenital heart surgery in a sense that they weren't doing these complex heart operations back in the 70s and 80s that they're doing now in the 90s and 2000s. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a combination of that. We definitely have a lot of patients that have what we call post-operative complications or post-operative problems, but we have a small segment of patients that still are what we call unoperated or unrepaired that are at risk for pulmonary hypertension as well. That's terrific information. That really does help me to understand some of the information about pulmonary hypertension and congenital heart disease. But we need to take a quick commercial break. Don't leave yet, friends, because when we come up next, we're going to talk to Dr. Franklin about a historical perspective of pulmonary hypertension. We already alluded to a little bit of that, but we're also going to talk about the warning signs everyone needs to be aware of. We'll find out who's at risk for pulmonary hypertension when we come back after this brief break. The most common themes that I hear is why. She always needed uh, a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it helped me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is Advancements in Pulmonary Hypertension. Dr. Wayne Franklin is a cardiologist who specializes in the care of adults with congenital heart defects and also pulmonary hypertension. And he just finished telling us why he got into those fields and a little bit more about pulmonary hypertension. But now I'd like to know a little bit more about how pulmonary hypertension and our understanding of pulmonary hypertension has changed over time, Dr. Franklin? Well, that's a great question. Initially, the data 
and the research was really in the 1980s. That's where it really started to come out. This disease has obviously been around for a long time, mm -hmm. but we didn't really understand it, know how to treat it quite as well when this first came to light about 30 years ago. At that point, we knew that there was a problem, but we didn't know how to treat it. And so there was a study that came out really in the 80s that started this all off. And that was a study looking at using this medicine called epoprostenol. Epoprostenol is what they call a, a prostacyclin analog. It's an intrinsic molecule that helps to dilate or relax the pulmonary vasculature. The whole problem in this disease is that the pulmonary vasculature becomes very thickened and abnormal and sort of constricted. We've known that. We've kind of learned this over the past 30 years. Well, in the 80s, and the use of this drug showed that if you give these patients who before this had no other form of therapy except maybe oxygen, mm -hmm. if you give them ipoprostenol, they survive longer. They have a what they call a survival benefit. They live longer. And so that really kicked it off with both our understanding of the disease but also the treatment. And so over time, there's been more drugs that have been developed, thank goodness. They all act on the pulmonary vasculature primarily, so the other drugs that vasodilate them. We know now that prostacyclin analogs are really only one out of the four mechanisms or pathways. So the other two for which we have drugs are what they call the endothelin receptor blocker pathway. Mm -hmm. uh, endothelin is another molecule that's really a bad type of molecule that constricts the blood vessels and causes blood clots and all that in pulmonary vascular and pulmonary arterial hypertension. So we have drugs that block the effects of endothelin. And there's also drugs that work on what they call the cyclic GMP pathway. It's fancy terms for another molecule that helps dilate. These drugs are in a different class called the PDE5 inhibitors, phosphodiesterate 5 inhibitors. So a lot of Drugs have come out and a lot of medications have now been proven to really be beneficial. And that, I think, is a huge, huge development because just 30 years ago, there's only one drug. Now we probably have 10 wow. uh, for this disease. And it's really, yeah, and it's really made an impact. And I think both the quality of life for patients and some patients, it's also helped to extend their life and improve their survival. Oh, that's wonderful. And I'm sure that a lot of our patients are already on blood pressure medication. A lot of them may be on Lasix or some other kinds of medications. And you have to be careful what drugs interact with one another. You sure do. We as physicians are always looking at people on multiple drugs, so-called polypharmacy, and looking on drugs that might have different interactions exactly. Fortunately, there's a small amount of medications that interact with these drugs. There are some that are absolute no-nos for sure, mm -hmm. uh, but most of them are pretty safe, especially sort of the cardiac drugs, the hypertension drugs, some of the other drugs that a lot of cardiopulmonary patients may be on. But what are the warning signs and who is at risk for pulmonary hypertension? Well, the warning signs, unfortunately, are what we call nonspecific. So some of the signs are, are specifically the symptoms that patients may feel are shortness of breath, fatigue, tiredness, right? Maybe mm -hmm. cough. So most people have that at one point in their life, right? Shortness of breath, fatigue, or cough. And so it, it's one of those things where only if it sort of fits with the other findings, a very dramatic sign of this is fainting. Right. So if somebody faints, that's usually a sign of that it's pretty advanced mm. for this. So those are some of the warning signs. Typical presentation, and I mentioned this, and it's important because a lot of the data show that it takes an average of two years for patients to get diagnosed with this, two years oh, wow. from symptom onset. Yeah, which is a long time yeah. because patients, they go to their primary care doctor with a little bit of fatigue or tiredness and they get worked up for anemia or thyroid mm -hmm. or depression or something and they get delayed. 
And during that time, their disease is rapidly progressing. And so we have in the pulmonary hypertension and adult congenital heart disease community have really tried to increase the awareness so we can pick this up, so we can diagnose it and catch it earlier to say, hey, let's get more than just blood work. Consider a chest x-ray. Maybe you want to get an echo or some blood work, things like that to really, really make sure. There are some specific clues that clinicians and patients can use to say, well, do I have it? And we know that definitely people at risk for it, such as those who have repaired or unrepaired congenital heart disease, those patients who smoke, right, emphysema we know, and intrinsic lung disease can cause this. Those patients who have what we call connective tissue disease, also known as collagen vascular disease, like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or scleroderma, mm. are definitely at risk for this. It also runs in families. Unfortunately, it sort of has a predilection for young women. So if a young woman presents with shortness of breath and some fatigue and, oh, my mom has this too, mm. or my mom has pulmonary hypertension, that's an easy one. But definitely it runs in families and there's a gene. Wow. There's a few genes that have been isolated for this. Definitely not the majority of the causes or the etiologies of this, but it can definitely run in families. And then of course, you know, the hard one to sort of diagnose is idiopathic, meaning there's no other cause. It's just the primary problem with the vasculature. Overall, worldwide, definitely heart failure is a cause of pulmonary hypertension. But that's, honestly, that's a different sort of pulmonary hypertension than this. We're talking about, and this gets into the more of the science and the anatomic part, but we're talking about pulmonary arterial hypertension, which is a disease or a problem just in the lung arteries. Most pulmonary hypertension is pulmonary hypertension due to venous problems or left heart disease. So if you have left heart failure, your heart doesn't squeeze well or relax well, well, the blood can't get out of the lungs. It can't go from the lungs to the heart. And so that's a different sort of problem where it's secondary, not primary, but secondary to left heart disease. But definitely primary pulmonary arterial hypertension has definite different causes, and we need to be aware of those. Does that make sense? So you just made a very interesting distinction. So there's pulmonary hypertension and then there's pulmonary arterial hypertension. And when I went on the internet to read about you, and we'll get into that a little bit more in the third segment, I didn't realize that there were two different kinds of pulmonary hypertension. Pulmonary arterial hypertension, is that a fairly new development? Well, really, we've gotten smarter about this. And the doctors who helped classify this classified really four or five different types right? So the ones that we're talking about are what we call class one. And these are doctors in the organization. It's called the WHO, the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. So class one is pulmonary arterial hypertension. That's really what we're talking about. Class two is much more common, which is the pulmonary hypertension related to heart failure. Okay. So this is really what we're talking about today, though, is the class one, the pulmonary arterial hypertension. And that's, to me, that's what more of the congenital heart patients have and definitely what the sort of idiopathic pulmonary hypertension patients have. Perfect. Wow. I feel like I just had a science lesson. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, I am a scientist by nature, but I try to present things that are a little bit more palatable, a little easier to understand. Yeah, well, you did a fabulous job. And unfortunately, we have to take another quick break, but don't leave yet, folks, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Franklin about PAH, or pulmonary arterial hypertension TV. Yes, there is a PAH TV station. You're going to learn all about that and the resources for pulmonary arterial hypertension, as well as advancements and treatments of PAH. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. 
Did you know that most men suffer from beard itch, ingrown hairs, and a dry face all because they're not using the right shaving tools? At woodraiser.com, we sell handmade heirloom quality badger hair brushes that exfoliate the skin, open the pores, and stimulate hair follicles, which gives a gentleman a closer, more comfortable shave and a clean face. Visit our website, woodraiser.com, where you can learn more about men's skincare and check out our professional shaving tools. A perfect gift for your man, built to last for generations. That's W-O-O-D-R-A-Z-O-R dot com. When I saw so many of these CHG groups growing, I found family just ready to join me. Anyone who is a member of the adult congenital heart defect community can be a guest on our show. We have a great year planned and we look forward to sharing other interesting topics Heart to Heart with Nicole and David, serving the ACHD community, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is advancements in pulmonary hypertension, and we have a fabulous pediatric cardiologist who specializes in the care of adults with congenital heart defects and pulmonary hypertension on the show today. Dr. Franklin has been talking to us about the history of pulmonary hypertension and especially pulmonary arterial hypertension. And we only have a few minutes left, but I have a few more questions for you, Dr. Franklin. I saw a photo of you on PAHTV, so can you tell me what that is and what other resources are available regarding pulmonary arterial hypertension? Yes, pulmonary hypertension is really small but growing community, thank goodness. You know, and I've only been in this 15 years or so, but pulmonary hypertension or PAHTV was something that both the physicians but also industry and some of the other medical centers and medical schools have put on because it's really trying to increase awareness for this disease. As I mentioned before in the podcast, a lot of times this disease goes either unrecognized or there's a delay to diagnosis. So one of the goals of PAHTV is to increase awareness and get people thinking about it, get people talking about it, and certainly educating people on all of that, both doctors and also patients and healthcare providers. So I think this is a great mechanism to do it. There's several of my colleagues and friends have done lectures and things on this station. And it's actually kind of fun because it comes out every month or so where there's a new lecture, there's a new teaching tool about this. And also we go to visiting programs in cities around the country. I've given a few of these talks in person at different cities and different hospitals around the country, sort of take things on the road, but then also you can get to the website you can see here, PAHTV. Well, I love it that you're taking it on the road, especially if we have a chance to have patients sit in on it, although I'm sure it's an excellent teaching tool for the doctors as well. But I was watching it and I had extra questions and I wasn't able to ask any of them. (laughs) So I learned a lot just by talking to you today because I could ask you the questions that popped into my mind as we were talking about this. But it's a great starting place. It's a great resource. And I think it's something that's really helpful for people who might wonder, do I have pulmonary arterial hypertension or do I have pulmonary hypertension, and they can go out and look at some of these lectures that have been given, and it probably can help them, I don't want to say self-diagnose, because you don't want to do that, but at least they can come forward with some real facts to present to their doctors. 
Yeah, and that's what we wanted. We wanted an open forum of people, both patients, clinicians, physicians can access to learn more about this. For doctors and healthcare providers, they get continuing medical education credit for this because this is a teaching tool. But it also kind of helps to generate some interest and some support for the pulmonary hypertension community. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I have another question for you based on another show that I did earlier this season. Sure. I had Dr. Gil Warnofsky on the show, and he was fabulous. And he told us about a roadmap that he is designing for the pediatric population because he feels that the adult population is actually ahead of the pediatric program on that level. Do you think that getting a baseline and maybe doing some examination, especially for kids, it sounds like with left-sided heart problems, but really for any kids with complex congenital heart disease, would it be appropriate for that to become part of the roadmap for them to get as children a baseline of their pulmonary function so that we can see if there's some deterioration over time? Well, fortunately, I think now it is on at least the radar of pediatric cardiologists. And I practice one, I am one, and I work with a lot. And I think now they're starting to gain some traction in the pulmonary hypertension world. You're right, before it was just kind of our focus in pediatric cardiology was the heart and the vascular system and pulmonary hypertension was kind of relegated to the pulmonologist or the pediatric pulmonologist. So we are trying to get more in that arena and that disease entity. Now, the other thing, though, is that as the cardiologists are taking care of these patients, certainly patients are getting echoes regularly, especially if you're being followed by a pediatric cardiologist. So I'm hoping that the pediatric cardiologists are looking at the echo, looking at the pulmonary arterial pressure, what we call the RV pressure, right ventricular pressure, in order to just screen for this. ECHO is a great screening tool that can pick up a lot of this early in the development. Obviously, each patient is different, and honestly, a lot of times each cardiac anatomy is different because a lot of them had different operations or different times in their life. But I'm starting to realize now that pediatric cardiologists are starting to get more involved with this disease as well. That's perfect. The sooner you catch it, the sooner you can start, like you said, managing, even if you can't reverse it, you can at least manage it so it doesn't get so serious. Yeah, and that's another thing too. We are starting to do more trials of medications in this group, both in adults with pulmonary hypertension, but also pediatric patients with pulmonary hypertension. You know, socially and ethically, we make sure the medications work on adults first, and then we extend Mm -hmm. it into kids. And so now we're looking, using these medicines for 10 plus years or so in adults. So now you're starting to see reasonable and good trials and good data using these medicine in kids. And that's going to be important because a lot of times we want to be able to help kids just like we help the adults as well, but we're trying to prove it with the medicine to make sure that we know it works and doesn't harm patients as well. Well, I understand not wanting to harm children, but my one concern with that is that children are not little adults. Children develop differently than what adults do. And so medications that work a particular way in adults may work differently in children. Right. Both differently in different dosages, different formats, even different administrations, right? We know that a lot of times Mm -hmm. you can't just give pills. You have to give liquid or chewable tablets, things like that. You know, a lot of times teenagers have trouble with compliance. So that's also another issue. I mean, all patients have trouble with compliance, but teenagers, you may have heard, can be the worst sometimes. So So we're looking at that. But I think the important things from a scientific standpoint is that we have used these drugs and can show that they work in children. They're safe and efficacious. We have the right dosing. We have the right intervals. And, you know, that's now coming along. We are fortunate to be involved with several trials, international trials and registries for children with this disease and for even young people and young adults with this disease, too. 
That's wonderful to hear. What do you think is the future for pulmonary hypertension? What do you see coming down the pipe? Boy, well, I get asked this question a lot. And if I could say that hopefully the future will get more drugs, we've already gotten a lot. And the drugs now, most of them come orally, so it can be taken in pill or tablet form. So that's been a Mm -hmm. real boon to both compliance, but also to patients planning to take them. What I'd really like to see, and this is really a dream, would be if we could get genetic testing on patients so we will know what patient would respond to what medicine. So you come in, Mm. you get a blood test, maybe you get a buckle swab of your cheek, right? You send that and you Mm -hmm. run, oh, you're going to be a prostacyclin responder patient, or you're going to be a PDE5 inhibitor responder patient, or you're going to be an endothelin receptor blocker patient. So that would be great because we end up just throwing almost everything at these patients because we don't know which one they're going to be sensitive to. And we think in some disease states and in many of these patients, more is better. But maybe we could get away Mm -hmm. with just one that's tailored to them. I think it's been referred to as sort of precision medicine. If we can precisely test these patients to say you're a responder for this, you're not a responder for that, that would be great. And so that's really what I'd love to see. Wow, it's almost like designer medicine, designer treatments. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, I just love that. It sounds very hopeful for the future of those who might have pulmonary arterial hypertension. Well, yeah, I think the future is bright. I mean, it really is. It's a tough disease, but again, we've made so much progress from the days where all people had and all doctors had was epoprostanol, which is really an IV drip that you have to go home with an infusion pump. Now patients can take mm. pills. Really, just pills, you know, yeah. sometimes it's only frequently as once a day in some instances that have really shown an impact. So we've made a lot of progress. There still are patients that are very advanced. There's still a lot of work to be done. But again, I always say it's a good time to be in this field because we've made such progress that we can have some good results now. And I think these patients really have benefited and they're great patients to work with. They're very sick. You can really help them over time. And that must be so rewarding for you. It is. It is because dealing with the patients and families and being able to guide them and help them when they were on nothing and now they can walk to the mall or walk around the mall. They can go to the grocery store, do their activities of daily living. I have one patient who's a season ticket holder to our local professional football team, which is great. And that's fun because before this, she couldn't even go to the games, even though she's a huge football fan. So I always think about her on Sunday. Uh when I watch <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for all that you do. But thank you especially for coming on the show today, Dr. Franklin. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much again for having me. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, folks. So that does conclude this bonus episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week. I'll have another bonus show for you next week. And it will also be at noon Eastern time on Tuesday. Till then, please find and follow us on iTunes. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. 
we hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.